0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Friends of Sanctuary Podcast. I'm Mary Ann Bartels, Chief Investment Strategist at Sanctuary Wealth. Today, I'm pleased to welcome our guests, Fran Byers, Managing Director and Head of Capital Markets at Cliffwater, and Bob Long, CEO of Stepstone Private Wealth. Cliffwater and Stepstone are considered leaders in the world of private markets. And I'm really looking forward to diving in with you guys today. So thank you so much for joining. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Now, the world of private markets is relatively new to the private wealth community. And the names of your companies are not yet household names. So I'd really like to ask each of you to explain your companies and what
1: what you do at those companies. So Fran, I'm going to start with you today. Sure. So Cliffwater was founded in 2004 by Steve Nesbitt, who's the CEO. Before he formed Cliffwater, he was at Woolshire Associates. And him and a few colleagues who are big believers in alternative asset classes and wanted to just focus exclusively on alternatives, founded Cliffwater to do private equity, private debt, real assets and hedge funds exclusively for big pension funds and institutional clients, Today, we manage about $100 billion in assets under advisement for these clients. But Cliffwater's DNA and real passion was private debt. And so about five years ago, we really wanted to also build a product and a few products that solely focused on private cred- credit to bring to the wealth channel. And so um, I'm one of the portfolio managers that works on Cliffwater Corporate Lending Fund, which is our flagship interval fund. It's now the largest interval fund globally. Um, and we also launched a second interval fund called the Clipwater Enhanced Lending Fund two years ago, which is at about $2 billion in AUM that focuses on the more esoteric parts of private credit like venture lending, AVL, and real estate lending. So I'm
0: going to ask you, because this is a new word, at least even for my w- world where I come from, what is an interval fund? <laughs> what Like, what is that? I know what a mutual fund
1: is. I know what an ETF is. I know yeah, what a closed-end was- fund is. But I've never heard of an interval fund before. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and somebody said, you work at an integral fund? And I'm like, no, no, interval fund. But yes. So an interval fund, simply put, it's a mutual fund, but it's a continuously offered closed-end mutual fund. So what that means is every single day, we can issue new shares, and investors can come in. But it's closed-end in that you can only exit the fund at regular intervals, so once a quarter. We offer to buy back 5% of net assets for people that want liquidity in the fund. But it's a registered fund. It's a 1940-act fund. um, And it's ticker execution. So it's very easy. You can go on Schwab and Fidelity and and buy it on the ticker. Oh, I've learned something new here today. And Bob, can you tell me a little
0: bit about StepStone and what you do at the firm?
2: Sure. And again, thank you for having us today. StepStone is one of the world's largest allocators to the private markets. Like Water. we're broad-based. We're focused only on the private markets, so private equity, credit, infrastructure, and real estate. We're a global firm of about 1,000 people working from 25 offices in 15 countries. What I think is distinctive about our firm is our commitment to data, along with the breadth and scale we have. We manage or advise on $650 billion of assets. And importantly, we commit or allocate $80 billion a year to the private markets. In 550 separate transactions. And as we'll get into later, that deal flow, that scale is really important for these interval funds that Fran described, and tender funds we're also gonna talk about. I lead our private wealth effort there, and our goal is to deliver the same investment content that Stepstone does for the world's largest institutions and simply provide that in a package that works for individual investors and smaller institutions.
0: Fran just talked a little bit about evergreen funds. Can you explain the evergreen funds that are on StepStone's platform? And if I understand this correctly, the individual investor can get a very similar uh, product as the institutional client. Am I correct in that understanding?
2: You are, and that's really important to understand. And for your financial advisor listeners and, and also for clients, This industry has really evolved, and today the better funds, the better firms that are offered on the sanctuary platform offer the same institutional caliber assets, the very same deals that are going into the portfolio of, I'll pick a client we can name, um, the United Nations Pension Plan, for example. The very same secondaries, co-invest, primaries, private equity, credit, infrastructure, real estate, those very same investments that StepStone Sources, evaluates, executes for institutions go into the evergreen funds. Now, in our case, we have three different evergreen strategies. The first is our core fund called s Prime. s Prime is primarily private equity, primarily buying private equity secondaries, which we'll get into talking about. And it has some yield-oriented assets in it. Spring is a venture capital and growth fund, potentially higher octane, higher return, higher risk. And then structure is our new offering. This is global infrastructure. So investing, as my colleague likes to say, in things they blow up on television and the movies. So power, data, transportation, roads, bridges, et cetera. So three individual investment strategies all in evergreen funds, but all buying the same sorts of assets or the very same assets with the same pricing as the institutions get.
0: Now, are there any investment restrictions? Do you have to be accredited?
2: You do. In the case of structure and S-prime, you have to be accredited. In the case of spring, because of the nature of that strategy, you need to be a qualified client. 2.1 million of investable assets or higher.
0: Can you explain, there was a term you used in there. It's not interval. It's another term. Tender fund. Tender fund. What does what tender mean? Tender So fund I,
2: I, uh, I wish I could riff off a friend's comment about somebody asking me working at a tender fund firm. But, um, <laughs> so a uh, little bit of history. So private equity funds or private market funds were historically offered in a drawdown format, a limited partnership run by a general partner, where the investors, largely passive, were limited partners. Unpredictable capital calls and distributions, and frankly complicated, and for a lot of reasons we'll get into, not ideal for individual investors. So many years ago, uh, firms that wanted to deliver this product to institutions or this investment content to individual investors determined that doing it in a permanent capital vehicle or evergreen fund. Maybe to bring it back, these vehicles, whether tender or interval, are very similar to mutual funds. They are registered like a mutual fund. They are and like a mutual fund that... And it doesn't have an end date on it, and new investors come in at current net asset value, and existing investors exit. So just like in a mutual fund where you have daily entry and daily exit, in these funds you either have daily or monthly, some of our funds are monthly, entry and quarterly exit. But the the DNA, the infrastructure, the independent board, the regulation, the transparency, all of those are very, very similar to mutual funds. So that's what an evergreen fund means.
0: So Fran, what are some of the investment structures you and your firm are offering and how do investors actually get access? And what are any of the requirements that are needed? And is there a term... Well, we just talked about it, evergreen. If you can talk about a little bit more what your evergreen world looks like and can you explain what evergreen and what evergreen is on your platform? So when I was really trying to develop questions for our conversation today this evergreen thing kept coming up and i had to call one of our colleagues that's at our firm that's a specialist in ai and i'm like what is this evergreen thing so you just explained it very well so it's an umbrella term for many different categories right did i get that correct so what are the so is it does this question make sense to you if i said fran What are the evergreen structures you
1: have on your platform? Is that a correct question? Well, for me, evergreen in the terms of funds is it's out there as semi-permanent capital indefinitely. So CCLFX and SELF together, you come into those funds on day one, you're going to get your full dividend yield. There's not this ramp up period and ramp down period. Instead, like a mutual fund, you can come into it anytime and you can stay in that fund as long as you want. It has an evergreen life. So what are the name of your, your funds? So our first fund is Cliffwater Corporate Lending Fund. That is our flagship $18 billion in gross AUM interval fund. That does regular middle-of-the-fairway direct lending. And then our second fund is the Cliffwater Enhanced Lending Fund that does more of the esoteric parts of private credit like venture lending, ABL. But Marianne, to your first question of the democratization of private credit and um, why we brought this product to market in the first place i talked a little bit about how our dna was on the advisory side of the business we were helping big pension funds and institutional clients build portfolios within private credit and what we noticed is if you're a big reputable pension fund you're not paying rack rate fees you're able to drive those fees down with your scale you're getting discounts you're getting gp stakes and then on top of that as a big investor you're asking for fee free co-investment in SMEs at no fee retail investors in the wealth channel was not getting the same access to the same level of, of product the same level of manager and fee construct and so our two interval funds is institutional grade interval funds that we've built for the wealth channel they don't the first one CCLFX, does not have an accredited investor standard so if we're on somebody's platform They could put a dollar in that fund. There's no net worth standards. You can come in and out of that fund. um, But you're coming into a very big, diversified fund that is built similar to how we would build a program for a large pension fund. So you're getting that benefit of us helping pick the managers, get the best investments in the market, getting them into the fund, and delivering it to retail investors in a very low fee, effective, and efficient structure. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Your world is credit. That's
0: loans. Let's make it v- very simple. Loans have a yield on them. Now, you created this structure, this index, and I think you follow something like 3,200 different structures or something along that
1: line. You're referring to the Cliffwater Direct Lending Index? Yes. So, And that has yes. a yield on it? Yes. So for anybody to ever invest in any asset class in a meaningful way, our founder and CEO Steve Nesbitt had said, we need a benchmark. And very early coming out of the GFC or the Great Financial Crisis, when private credit really started to take off in that zero interest rate world and people were looking for yield, there really was no benchmark in direct lending. So how do you expect investors to want to allocate to an asset class that didn't have a benchmark that didn't have something to measure a manager against so you're like the s p 500 for the private credit markets for our audience yes so okay. we, we built this index in 2015 that goes back 20 years and it shows the return performance the loss performance through time through multiple cycles of the direct lending asset class and the findings of it are really really compelling specifically when you compare it to investment grade bonds tile bonds equities Um, Direct lending offers much more stable and predictable and reliable returns through multiple cycles. It has um, less negative years in the red. Actually, over the 20-year period, there's only been one year on record where the return was negative, and that was coming out of the GFC or going into the GFC. Global financial crisis. Even the investment-grade bond market has three or four negative years, and that's investment-grade risk. And so- when you look at the findings of the CDLI or a Cliffwater Direct Lending Index, it's very, very compelling, and we built Cliffwater Corporate Lending Fund, our interval fund, to mirror this index. We basically want it to deliver so it's similar to yes. the ETF, like a spy, where you
0: can get access. Now, what I think is also important, Bob, and I will get to you. Um, I think it's very important that our audience understands the credit you're looking at is not traded. It's private, and I think that's the important message. So can you explain that this is private paper that's issued?
1: Exactly. So we cannot trade in and out of these loans. They are whole to maturity loans, unlike what you're seeing in the bond market or in the institutional loan market. Does it have a duration? How many years? Yeah, so most of these loans have somewhere between a five and a seven year maturity. But in general, loans usually repay within three years because they're highly recycled, these are really high growth borrowers, they're often backed by a big reputable private equity shop who's coming in and they're purchasing these corporate, these middle market or direct lending borrowers. They're operationally trying to improve the borrowers, grow them and then they'll sell them or they'll IPO them. And so these are loans that are higher growth than what you would get in the bond market And they usually have like a three-year turnover in the portfolio. And what kind of income can an investor
0: expect to have on this interval fund?
1: Yeah. So historically, when we were in a zero interest rate world from 2009 to 2019, and base rates were at zero, most portfolios would generate a mid to high single digit return, somewhere in that like 7 to 9% range for direct lending. And we have data that goes back 20 years it's, that shows that. That's quite that. substantially higher. But today, for the first time in I, I don't even know how long decades, direct lending portfolios are now returning low double-digit yields and returns. So a first lien loan is paying a 12% yield right now because of where base rates so are. So
0: even in a 5% interest rate environment, that's pretty pretty big pickup, Bob. I want to I want to turn to you now. Now, can you explain your Evergreen funds? and how they align with the investment opportunities. Um, because they're very similar. You're doing the same thing. You're, you're, you're providing a product that mirrors what the institutional client can receive. Am I correct?
2: You are. And that's a really important point I'll build on what Fran said. So here's the way we think about it. At Stepstone Private Wealth, we're taking the same investment content, which I think of as ice cream. So if you want the ice cream in a complicated structure with capital calls and distributions. Think about an ice cream in a cup or you at a cone where you've got to manage the drips, the unpredictable drips and drabs. You get a little higher IRR, hence the sugar cone, and return a higher internal rate of return from the ice cream cone. If you want that same investment content in a simplified fashion where we manage the unpredictability we do it in a cup, so it's the same institutional investment content, and the Evergreen Fund simply gives you a different structure.
0: Can now, Fran is private credit, your private equity, correct?
2: Yes, private oh, equity we, and infrastructure
0: and infrastructure. So, can you explain to our audience what that means? Because these are investments in companies; they're on the equity side, not the debt side. Yes, correct, but. You can't access them in the public markets, right? So they don't trade. And there's been many companies recently that have chosen not to become public, but to raise capital through private equity. Am I correct? Can you kind of walk our audience through that a little bit?
2: Happy to. So um, Megatrend, uh, you've been in the business while. Well, so have I. Uh, fewer and fewer companies go public. Companies, High growth companies stay private longer. And so much of the growth in our economy now comes in private companies think about something like spacex so i'll be directly correct on this what could be more capital intensive than building spaceships but yet they've been able to access billions and billions i think it's 19 billion of private equity capital without going to the public markets imagine that when we started this business you couldn't have imagined that because the private markets today are more developed they're bigger and they're deeper so these are private companies many of them are high growth companies they are managed, the alignment between management, many of our many of our audience, I'm sure, are involved in companies that they own part of, or they're employees of companies that are family-owned or employee-owned. So these are companies that are owned, where the alignment between the ownership and the operation are much tighter, which has historically led to higher rates of return in the private equity world. Companies are not traded, and you access them through a complex process that we all understand and um and we package those into these evergreen funds. First one is for us is Prime, a core private equity fund. SPRING, which is venture capital and growth, so potentially higher returning. And then STRUCTURE, which is new, and it's one of the few funds focused on infrastructure, roads, bridges, a transmissions line. Our fund's particularly focused on power, data, and transportation. So that's, in a nutshell, what our evergreen funds look like.
0: So let's talk about... Is, is, um Somebody in our audience is interested in one of the products that, that you talked about. How did they go about accessing that? Now, obviously, if you have a financial advisor here at at, at Sanctuary Wealth, you go through uh, um, your financial advisor. Is that
1: generally how a person has to go get, it is. get access? It is.
2: for our phones and I think for your
1: Same. phone. So. Yeah, we want to make sure that um, our financial advisors, we know who our partners are and who our investors are. So, and we do have a minimum on the financial advisor platform. So once that financial advisor meets that minimum, they can put all their clients in that fund whenever they want. And again, they can go on Schwab or Fidelity and just buy it on the ticker. But you do have to have a financial advisor that supports the fund in order to um, come into it. Now, you said one of your interval funds, you don't need
0: to be accredited. So, Bob, why don't you explain what accredited means to our audience? Sure.
2: So an accredited investor is someone with a million dollars of investable net worth or $200,000 of income or $300,000 if they're married. Legal definition, talk to your financial advisor about that. For various reasons, S-prime, our core fund, is only available to accredited investors. However, we are one of, if not the only fund like that, that can be bought with a ticker. We recently moved to ticker investments for that fund, XPMIX.
0: Can you repeat that again for us? X
2: P M I X. Okay. And it is available on Sanctuary and many other financial advisory platforms. Structure, our infrastructure fund, is an interval fund and it's also viable by a ticker. The symbol on Structure is X T S R X. It's also available on Sanctuary and a number of other platforms. Then our venture and growth fund, Spring, is a tender fund. So similar to an interval fund with some nuances. It's not available on a ticker, but it is available to qualified clients, which are those with 2.1 million of investable assets. So, Spring is a potentially higher octane, higher return, higher risk fund. We think of it likely having a longer hold period, and therefore the accreditation or the suitability is slightly different for that fund.
0: So, Bob. Your company collected a lot of information, a lot of yes. data, and it's a proprietary system or a proprietary yes. database, I should say, that system, where because you, we don't have, because it's private markets, we don't easily have access to that information. but you've built this database so you could have information. So how do you utilize this within your company?
2: Sure. So uh, data we do believe is one of our key competitive advantages. Our system is called Spy, Steps on Unprivate Intelligence. It covers 84,000 private companies, uh, 20-some thousand, 40,000 funds, and 20,000 general partners. So it's a highly encompassing system, private equity, credit, real estate infrastructure on a global basis. What the system allows us to do is to make quick and good decisions in comparing funds, co investments secondaries, all the things that we do to allocate to our evergreen funds, but also to our institutional clients and to create the right portfolio construction that meets the needs of individual investors. So we, it is a proprietary system. We basically think of it as the Bloomberg for the private markets.
0: I would call it a competitive advantage. Face it. <laughs> so um, you mentioned secondaries. Yes. So you're in the secondary market. So can you explain to our audience what is this, what, what is it? What kind of investment is it? Or secondaries, you say, correct?
2: So the typical fund, as we mentioned earlier, is a drawdown fund, a limited partnership, where you commit to a fund. By the way, you're only committed, you're not invested in the typical fund at the very beginning. There are unpredictable calls and distributions. So those funds have legal lives of 15 years, the real life is about, sorry, legal lives of 12 years, and the real life tends to be 15 years or more. So for various reasons, investors want to or need to sell their limited partnership interest in those funds. We buy those, along with other parties, for a host of reasons. First of all, because the funds are more mature when you buy them later, the underlying assets are closer to their realization time, so the duration of the assets is shorter. So a fund might own 20 underlying private companies, you buy it three years into a five-year investment period, and you're closer to realization. You also have less blind pool risk. When you commit to a new fund, you're generally committing to a blind pool. Uh, overall your fees tend to be lower. And so for a lot of reasons, secondaries are attractive to institutional investors broadly. But when you're creating an evergreen private equity fund, it's essential that you are very capable at acquiring secondaries in order to build a portfolio that has both return and also a shorter duration, the flip side of which is liquidity, to hit the 5% per quarter redemption requirement. Does that make sense?
0: It does. So that was what my next question. It's great lead-in. Um, since the private markets are not traded daily, yes. liquidity can be an issue for clients. Yes. So you just explained that basically liquidity is not daily. And from what I've learned with talking with you, Fran and, and Bob, is different structures have different liquidity barriers. Is that correct? Yes. So you need to understand the structure you're buying. Would that make
1: sense? anything you want to add on on liquidity. Frank. So interval funds have to offer liquidity to keep their interval fund status cuz we get a lot of questions on well can I get my money out? And whereas some of our competitor products like a BDC for example, they also may offer 5% per quarter redemption so we offer to buy back 5% of NAV each quarter. They don't have to buy They can decide we don't want to. Their board can say we don't. So they can limit people from getting their liquidity. And so that's what we really like about the interval fund structure is we feel with confidence. We can tell our investors, no, no, we are set up to have 5% of cash on hand every quarter to ensure that we can buy back those shares every quarter. And if you look at interval funds through time, that 5% per quarter, which is 20% per year, is pretty good in the terms of usually most interval funds are below that 5%. It's enough liquidity for the space to get their money out when they need to. So I'll
0: counter that. What happens if the ask is bigger than 5%? Yeah.
1: So during periods of extreme market dislocations, we'll put COVID out there as an example where there was a lot of panic in the market. We saw a lot of interval funds, including our own, have redemption requests go above the 5%. So, everyone puts in their order, and what we do is we um, serve those orders on a pro rata basis. So, if the requests are 100 million, but we only have to buy back 75 million, that 75 million pro rata will go back to the investors, and then they have to next quarter ask again. Is it like so, yeah, first come, first serve? No, it is not first come, first serve. So, everybody gets their piece out pro rata. So if it's 100 million requests and we can only, only have to buy back 75 so they'll million, only get a portion they'll get of 75% their- of their dollars out. And then next quarter, they can ask again and they'll probably get redeemed what they asked for that following quarter. Got it. Do you have anything to add, Bob?
2: I do. And this is an important conversation, but I would, uh, I'd like to turn it around. So what investors and financial advisors really need to understand is that we are investing in illiquid assets. We are seeking to get the return premium of illiquid assets and the diversification benefits of illiquid assets. So we are not magicians. And so we have to provide a limit on liquidity. If you compare the important thing that I think is often lost is if you compare redeeming from a evergreen fund with the uh, pro rata portions, typically 5% per quarter, or typically 5% offered. And if it's oversubscribed, the pro rata, To owning these assets individually, if you own a regular way drawdown fund through a large private bank uh, and you decide you don't want to be in that anymore, you know, maybe you had a feeder fund into a well-known private equity manager, there's lots of those out there, you have essentially no liquid. If for whatever reason you were able to sell it, it would take you months, you would be paying legal fees, and you'd get a discount in that asset value, which by the way, we'll come back to that. So, If you think about the alternative to owning, particularly for individual investors, to owning private assets in an evergreen structure, the evergreen structure with regular liquidity, with proration in the event of oversubscription, getting 100% of your value out, no frictional cost. You simply fill out a piece of paper and submit it. Then you recognize while it is a compromise, I'm quick to say the evergreen funds deliver most of the illiquidity premium of private assets with quarterly liquidity. It is a compromise in comparison to, or it sits between a regular way drawdown fund, with a 50, which is a 15 year marriage, or a public security you can trade every day. It sits between, but in our view, uh, when investors really understand the pros and cons, we think it's a really interesting solution in order to get access to the underlying returns in a structure that makes sense, that provides some liquidity.
1: So, oh, do you the want only to The other something? thing I was going to say is we communicate with our clients that this is a long, it is a long-term investment. If you're coming into direct lending or you're coming into private assets, most of our clients have 60, 40 portfolios. They have a heavy amount of equities and bonds. Um, they should be viewing their alternative part of their portfolio as more longer term, more set it and forget it. And it is at the more illiquid end of your portfolio. So if for some reason you need liquidity, it is going to be much easier to sell your equities. Um, But to Bob's point- Or your your treasuries or some other tradable bonds. Exactly. But I mean, we do offer the liquidity in this product more so than any other products within alternatives. This is going to be your most liquid option, but you shouldn't be coming into this product and then thinking about, I'm going to exit a quarter from now. This is long-term compounded returns over many, many years is going to produce a really solid outcome through multiple cycles. It is an all-weather through-cycle product. And so that's really how folks should view it. So
0: what I, I like to tell um, our advisors and our clients is when you invest, you need patience. And especially if you're going into the alternative space, th- this is where you have to have patience in order to get those re- those long-term returns. So, you know, performance is never guaranteed, right? They always say, you know, it's... it's Current performance is not indicative of future results. You'll always hear that disclaimer. But what are the general, Not maybe not. you may not want to talk about your firm, but what are the general returns that clients might be able to consider if they're going into this space, and what's the cost of going into the space? Bob, I'll, I'll, I'll turn to you first.
2: I really can't address that. There's no way to do it.
0: There's no way to do I it. I mean,
2: I could give our historical returns on prime, which are 24%, which is twice the target. And you don't want me to do that, so because um, you
0: can't guarantee that going uh, and it's forward. Just got
2: to help. And so, and then in terms of the other two funds, they're new. They returns are great, but you know they're less than a year old. And so, um, I just don't see a way, a compliant way, way
0: of doing performance, and probably yeah. the same for you. No, I
2: can, I can talk. She can do that... it. She's got a three-year track record of.
1: Yeah, but we can just broadly talk about the space in general because we do have the index. Um, And just across our advisory platform, so direct lending um, funds typically throw off that mid-to-high single-digit return in any given year if we go back through history of the index. Coming out of really tough cycles, like coming out of the GFC, coming out of COVID, you can sometimes earn double-digit returns in direct lending going into downturns. And
0: those were equity markets that were down substantially. Substantially. Those two periods where. Where this would have been what I call a hedge in a portfolio, it kind of cushioned the volatility in a portfolio, correct? And
1: so, and direct lending, you know, going into downturns, where we're going into a tougher rising default environment, and there's losses that are picking up, you're probably only going to see mid-single-digit returns. You rarely see direct lending go negative. As I was saying earlier, 20-year track record, there's only been one year that it's been in the red, Um, And so they tend to be pretty predictable returns. And again, it is because these loans are throwing off a very meaningful yield. And that cushions a lot of the losses that you're taking. Now, right now, base rates are so high that the returns that folks are getting, I mean, we're almost calling it the glory days of direct lending because we've never seen first lien loans throwing off 12% yields. So now is really a very, very attractive time to be in direct lending, and the loss environment has been relatively benign, although there's a lot of fears about going into a recession. But if you did investment-grade bonds the last two years, you probably had a negative return, which is crazy because you're taking very little credit risk going into investment-grade
2: borrowers. There's that duration risk.
1: Yeah. So it's a floating rate asset class. You don't have to worry about this valuation mismatch where... Rates are going up, so the value of the assets are coming down. They're floating rate, so they reset. So valuation is not as a big a, a concern in direct lending. It's more what's the yield, what are the fees, and what are the losses? And in terms of the fees, over time in this space, they're getting better and better. So if we go back 5, 10 years ago, direct lending fees were very expensive. Some of these managers were charging anywhere from 3 to 5% fees on net assets, Today you're seeing products that have come way down, more like two to three percent. In our fund in particular, we only charge one percent on net assets, um, and then of course we have some extra fees and expenses. So all in, we're at about one point six percent on CCLFX. It's one of the lowest cost funds that you can invest in in the space. So we've covered a range of topics today,
0: and both of you have been terrific in really defining each of your spaces, because I think that's what audiences, our audiences need is, is that granular understanding. And you, you have a lot of new buzzwords for people in there, and you did a great job um, explaining some of these new l- language um, to, to our audience. I can't ask every single question I would like to ask. So we're gonna wrap up And I'm going to ask you, what did we not talk about that you think is really important for our audience to know? And Fran, I'll I'll start with you.
1: I think there's a lot of confusion that this is a new asset class, because people are saying, "Oh, direct lending, it's new. We haven't seen it perform through a cycle." The truth is, is that we are lending to borrowers, we are lending to corporates and middle market borrowers, and Banks, insurance companies, finance companies, and asset managers have been doing this for decades and decades and decades. This is a long-running asset class. And what I will say is with each passing decade, the asset managers and the players that are doing this are getting bigger and better. And we have real tailwinds in our space right now where we're seeing a lot of deals leave the public markets and they're coming to private markets because these managers, are, they're raising a lot of money, but they're growing their hold size. They can do bigger deals. And so over time, with each passing 5, 10 years, the space is only becoming higher quality, better, best-in-class asset managers coming into the space. And it has a really long tailwind and future ahead of it. And I think what our audience really needs to know is a bank
0: may issue a loan, but it doesn't necessarily keep it on its books it goes out sometimes to the private market. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So what I like to get across is the direct lending market has much better alignment than what you're seeing in the public markets. Because an investment bank that underwrites a loan to sell it off to investors, an investment bank that's underwriting a bond deal to sell it off to investors, they're relying on trading liquidity for risk management. No one has skin in the game. They're trading the loans around, and the investment bank doesn't hold any of it. There is no scenario where that results in a better outcome in terms of performance than in the private markets where you have to get it right on the first time, you have to do deep and heavy diligence, you have to have sector expertise, you need to have good partners and private equity shops that are reputable that you're working with that are well capitalized. There's a formula for this having success that managers are doing, they're focused on defensive companies that they want to hold through a cycle. Because we can't time the market. Whether it's a good economy or a bad economy. We can't time the market and we can't decide when these loans are getting repaid. And we have to just make the best investments regardless of what's going through the cycle. And these managers are stress testing these loans and they're holding loans that they really feel are high quality. And that is always going to result in a better performance than what you're going to see in the public markets where there is no skin in the game. Now, Bob, I'm going to give you last words. Sure. What, what
0: didn't we talk about that you think our audience should really know about Stepstone? Well,
2: I'm going to build on what Fran said and go a slightly different direction. The what audience should understand is we're not only in the democratization phase; I would argue we're in the institutionalization of the democratization phase. So, as Fran mentioned, products today are so much more similar to the same investments that the world's most sophisticated and largest endowments, foundations, et cetera, are investing in. And so as you evaluate financial advisors or clients, as you evaluate these products, you should be asking yourself, is it the very same investments that the institutions are receiving? What is the allocation policy between the Evergreen Fund and the institutions? What is the liquidity mechanism? How are the assets valued? And then finally, what are the fees? Are they fair and 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 reasonable, and are they transparent? So I'll put all that against the matrix of of what we seek to do as steps from private wealth, which is to be convenient, easy to do business, efficient, inexpensive, transparent, no surprises. If you look for those three things, when you evaluate an evergreen fund, I think you'll find the right ones.
0: Fran, Bob, I wanna thank you both for joining me here today. It has just been such a delightful and educational conversation. On the private markets. Thank you so much for having us. We're really appreciative to be here.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: And I want to thank you, the audience, for joining us today.
2: Thank you for watching or listening to the Friends of Sanctuary podcast. Tune in next month to be sure not to miss out on the next installment of the series.
1: Securities offered through Sanctuary Securities, Inc., member FINRA, SIPIC. Advisory services offered through Sanctuary Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Sanctuary Securities, Inc. and Sanctuary Advisors, LLC are wholly owned subsidiaries of Sanctuary Wealth Group, LLC.